This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's No and Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and joining me today are Adam, Michael and Natalie. Lots and lots to get through as usual. There was a game at the weekend, defeat at Sunderland, um, but I'm sure we're going to spend most of our time talking about transfer deadline day and the lack of activity from Turf Moor. But we will start with the football and later we've got Stephen Goldsmith, Sunderland fan, joining us for a little bit as well. Um, but we'll start with the Sunderland game. Um, Burnley not really at the race as it's got to be said a couple of disappointing results and performances in a row now after the collapse against Palace as well but we did stay out of the bottom three because everybody else lost so it wasn't too much of a disaster um, Michael it, it was a funny one really but Burnley just didn't really seem to turn up yeah, we didn't like we were at the race at all on Sunday. It was a team that looked like they had no confidence. Um, Danny Ings all over the shop, his head were in it. Um, I don't know, just really, really, really disheartening performance. I was so angry after the game, to be honest. I went up to Sunderland for the game and I was quite positive ahead of it because I thought we were going to bounce back from the Palace game last week on the podcast, not last week, before the... For the FA Cup break, we talked about how last season we made a, a really good habit out of bouncing back from these setbacks, but it seemed to me like the belief had gone a bit out of the side from what happened against Palace, and I think that's that's got to be a bit of a concern. We are going to have to show a lot of characters to come back from that. Um, talk a lot about Dash's substitutions on the podcast, but they were probably the strangest ones he's made so far, putting Wallace and Jukovic on and taking off Danny Ings. Ings, obviously, um, not having his best game, and Dash sort of intimated that he might have been a bit distracted by the speculation linking him to Liverpool. Um, but those substitutions seemed a bit, to me, like he was trying to send a message to the board, sort of, this, this is all I've got, you need to go and get me some players. Yeah, I think you're right when you're looking at it like that. Respect. I think I actually saw your comment when you said it was almost as if he was saying to the board, look how short on quality I am. Um, and it was just so odd. Everyone, I think every every fan that I saw on Twitter reacting had the same reaction. Like, what what is he doing, bringing Boyd off? Um, Danny Ings had to come off. 
he wasn't in it at all. He was, uh, head was all over. Um, but yeah, so strange, so strange. The Ains one does make more sense because he he did seem a little bit distracted and you could probably make a case for him not actually starting that game. But Boyd instead of Arfield, I could not get my head around that. I thought I've taken a bit of stink for an article I've written about Arfield's form uh, where I basically said he should be dropped. But I, I felt he was really, really poor on Saturday. Both goals came from runs from full-backs that Arfield should have been tracking, moved him over to the other side, and it happened again immediately. He just doesn't seem to be doing his job anymore in that regard, tracking those runs. And I couldn't understand why he was left on the pitch when Boyd was taken off, unless it was a fitness thing. But Arfield, Arfield wasn't the only... I don't want to pick on Arfield too much. He wasn't the only player who was well off his game. Are we going to... I was going to say, it's, um, after the Palace game, I singled out Arfield as underperforming in that role of not picking up his man and not giving that cover. And some, some of them are exactly the same. I don't want to pick on him, but he's, he hasn't been up to scratch for, for quite a few games now, unfortunately. And it's probably time Dash started thinking about alternative options in that area of the pitch. It's strange because out wide is probably the area where we do have quite a solid cover. Kiteley's done a reasonably good job when he has played and even Ross Wallace has done okay in little spells from the bench, so it's it's not like he's only picking Arfield because there's nobody else. There are other options there. Um, Natalie, Natalie's in the car, by the way. If you can't hear some noise in the background, we'll hopefully be able to tie it up. <laughs> Sorry. Um, a really disappointed afternoon all round at someone, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's like you say, there just seems to have been um, a couple of games now with, with the Palace collapse and, and the Sunderland games where it's just been they just not looked like themselves and, and I don't really understand what's happened. There was a chance towards the start of the game for Ashley Barnes that I had not long before someone opened the scoring. Maybe that could have had an impact on the game, maybe something, maybe it could have gone a little bit different if that had gone in. I suppose it's it's hard to say, but we didn't create nothing at all, did we, Michael? It was a bit of a turning point, I suppose, looking back at that header. Yeah, that header probably about it in terms of what we did to create. It was... One hand throughout the entire match, we did, just did not get into the areas that we needed to be getting into to to force the issue. Really, um, you want you want the team to be digging in and trying to create chances. We just didn't do it. It's, ah. <laughs> I'm still really angry about it now. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> now that I'm having to think back to it. I'm I'm getting angry again. Think just thinking about how we performed. I was infuriated with it. Just oh, just all over the picture. It was so bad. Just, just wait till later, Michael, when you get angry. It was particularly annoying, I think, because it was maybe the, the best away um, support I've been a part of in a good while. We were very good at Leicester, but I think in the face of such a bad performance, the, the strong support from the Burnley away end was absolutely fantastic. And even in the second half, where it became obvious we weren't going to get anything from the game, I think it took a lot of a lot of guts from the fans to, to keep singing and keep supporting the lads and hopefully that was appreciated with us being able to show how much we were still backing them even though they were playing really, really badly to be honest there's no way to dress it up Burnley just weren't at the races almost as bad in some ways as, as West Brom away in that we didn't have all the players miss, missing that we did at West Brom I think that made it more understandable than the performance at Sunderland where I'm the same with you, Mark. I can't quite get my head around why we were so poor. And I think it was one of those, uh, we could probably still be playing that game now and we wouldn't have scored 
we had a lot of pressure, but didn't really seem to do that much with it. And when you're putting on Lukas Jokovic, bless him, he's just not a goal throwsy. We never thought like we were going to get back in the game. I think you could throw Lukas Djokovic in open net and he'd miss <laughs> <laughs> at the minute, to be honest. He obviously can score goals. He must be able to. He won't be a striker at this level. Well, then again, Heskey. Heskey were a striker, weren't they? So he hardly ever scored. Um, yeah, it's one of them. I'm hoping it's a case of a couple of bad games. After, after, after the Crystal Palace game knocked them out, I'm hoping that they're just going out against Sunderland, had a bit of a, a crap, and, and then... I hope they knuckle down now ahead of West Brom and, and really put in a performance to to repair that faith that the fans have shown in the team and to get the results. When, when, it's so big now is that game. It's it's taking on a new kind of a new life in that we need we need that three points essentially. It's, it's strange really because you'd think such a bad performance against Sunderland would have kind of jolted the the, the board and, and the studio yeah, absolutely. And, and whatever to to be a bit more liberal with their with their like I don't know. I suppose if you've got these budgets and you've got these tar- targets and plans and frameworks and whatever, whatever else you you've got, um, you've got to kind of stick to it. Otherwise, there's no point having them in the first place. But you'd you'd think that like such a terrible p- performance where it's just so un- uninspiring. We kind of have faith as fans that that, that the, the team can perform. Yeah, um, you'd think such an uninspiring performance would would kind of force those at the top to reevaluate um with regards to the transfer policy which we'll come on to in a bit yeah i mean i think you've got a point but i don't think there was really anything that happened at someone that was much of a surprise i mean we played pretty badly but it was the weaknesses that we've already seen right it was talked about Arfield stop not tracking his man he's stopped doing that for the last few weeks i don't know why and we defend narrow and we get caught out by that and Ben Mee plays badly because he's not good enough for the Premier League. We already knew about that. We knew that we couldn't get in behind teams because we don't have any pace going forward. We knew that if things doesn't play well, we don't play well. It's it wasn't really new information in a lot of ways, I don't think. So although it was a bad performance and you would say that a lot of clubs would have a reaction to that and go out and get some players, I don't know if it's it's not like there was there was new information where where we thought, oh, right, well, this is obviously a problem that we can fix immediately. There was no sticking plaster that could come in and be like, right, that's done. We don't have to worry about that anymore. It's the same problems. So, yeah, I don't know if that would have made any difference, but, yeah, we can come on to um, the transfer window in a little while. We'll just mention the West Brom game now, Michael. We're in this little run of, of games that are all six-pointers, really, with the QPR game at home and then the Palace game at home, Sun on away, West Brom away. I think at the start of that run, West Brom at home, sorry, I think at the start of that run we were talking about how many points we needed to take from it. Obviously, we've only got three from the nine so far. Do you think that does make Sunday a must-win game now? I mean, it's still early in the season to be talking about that, but the run of fixtures after this weekend are so horrible until about April. We really need to get points on the board, don't we? Yeah, definitely. It's it's one of them. I remember looking back at it in December and we were, we were saying after Christmas, we, we have that mini break, mini international break, and then December in the games where we hopefully pick up quite a few points. Um, and with, with the aim of securing the position, securing um, a decent position in the league, I just think if we'd, have, if we'd have taken three points at Crystal Palace, we'd have been in 12th. So it's, it's yeah, I'd, I'd say it's must win, but then. 
you look at that horrible run of games and top teams are always slipping up against those fine at the bottom and you just got to hope that when we go into them games we've got more of bottle, more grit and more determination that Dash famously talks about to, to beat these teams that are scrapping for Europa League and Champions League fourth position, whatever it is, the race fourth spot, what it is nowadays. I think um, having taken a point at the City, we shouldn't necessarily be writing those games off, but the reality is West Brom at home is probably the last game that we can expect to win for a little while. And with it being so tight at the bottom, those three points could really give us a boost up the table and get us away from that, that bottom three that we don't want to be um, near. We will move on now then. Um, to the transfer window in a little while but early today I spoke to Sunderland fan Stephen Goldsmith from the Sunderland podcast Wise Men Say to find out what he thought of the game Excellent right, Joining us now is Stephen Goldsmith from the Wise Men Say Sunderland podcast um, I suppose from your point of view it was a, a pretty job well done, is that right? Well it was, it was much needed uh, well, certainly it wasn't a vintage performance <laughs> I think uh, had Ashley Barnes put that header in early on you know, things might have went the other way, but as it is, um, got, to, got to be happy with it because um, as sort of cliche as it sounds, you, you, if you want to sort of establish yourself in the Premier League, you need to win You need to win games when you're not playing well. Um, and we certainly done that. We're normally on the receiving end of those, to be fair. So very, very uh, relieved, I think, because um, we lost a hole recently and we just needed to prove that we could beat the teams around us at home because... Second half of the season now, I mean, there's only Southampton in the top eight who we have to play at home. All the rest of the sides are mid-table down, so that's hopefully a positive thing. The Sunderland game plan seemed to work perfectly. I mean, both of your goals were almost carbon cut. It's really the way you raided down the wings and then got the balls cut across, especially DeForce going. You must be delighted with the way Poyet's changing tactics seems to be coming together at last. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the fullbacks are very important to us. Obviously, they are for any side that, that doesn't uh, that doesn't employ wingers. It, it's important that your fullbacks get forward. Now, we we've been lucky with on the injury front in that respect. Billy Jones is is out quite often. Van Arnold's been out, and Riviere, the French lad who set up the uh, first goal, has been out as well. So we've been playing centre centre backs uh, in those fullback positions, and that's been a major part of why we haven't been creating as many chances and we've, we've, we've managed to get ourselves a lot of nil-nils. But I think the thing that I'm happy with the most about the way Poyet set up was when he brought Defoe in, he realised, you know, if I need this, if this is going to be a quick fix, I need to change the way we play because he can't really play up front by himself. Now he, he tried something at Spurs, he tried something else against Fulham. That one was a disaster. And, he, and he's changed it again. And he's, um, I've noticed we've went a little bit more direct than we used to. Uh, which is probably overdue. So you've got to give him credit because uh, he's he's trying things. Look, I mean, luckily, if you compare us to Burnley, we're quite lucky, you know, or Burnley, for example, we're quite lucky that our squad, compared to most of the sides down there, is quite strong. And he does have a lot of players, so he can try a few different things. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that's not the case for you guys because you're pretty set up set up the way, in a certain way. And I don't mean that with uh, any disrespect. You know, you've got to cut your cloth accordingly and all that stuff. And, I think Poyer's lucky that he's he's got a lot of players, a lot of different players he can try different things with, and I think he hopefully this could be him stumbling across something that works. I think that was absolutely right. We basically have no choice but to play the way yeah, we do. There's yeah. not much Dice can do differently. Um, Defoe got on the score sheet, but he did miss a really good chance in the second half as well. 
suppose mm. how sharp he can be and how many goals he can score that's going to have a major impact mm. on where you end up this season isn't it oh yeah absolutely I mean uh, I think match of the day point, uh, pointed out didn't they when they showed Jalador's chance against West Ham where it hit his arse and um, you know it was a sim- from a similar position where um, where Defoe put in I think we I saw it up against um, Fulham to, to sort of figure out that Defoe was, was, was going to be okay because the obvious debate is and, you know, can you get the service to him? It's no good having somebody, you know, renowned goal scorer in the box if you're not going to get the service to him. And, and, and some people will point to Stephen Fletcher as an example of that, saying this lad will score your goals if you get it to him, and he's not scoring goals because you aren't getting to him. But I think against Fulham, we saw we saw a few occasions when Defoe sort of got himself on the end of something, which he didn't really have a right to get on the end of, or or perhaps none of their other strikers are capable of doing that. Uh, he diverted somebody else's shot goalwards, for example, and. And, this, and the goal against you guys, he just knew where to be. I mean, Gomez's ball to Van Arnold when he overlapped, um, he does that practically every game. He, he doesn't do a lot else, Gomez, but he finds Van Arnold with that through ball, I would say, every game. And I think that's the first time we've, we've possibly scored from it. And that's just because Defoe knew where to be. Right place, right time. Cliché, isn't it? But it's true, I guess. It's what gets you points to this level, isn't it? Having someone who just the ball away. Uh, you mentioned Stephen Fletcher there. Obviously, we had him for a year. Mm. I was a bit surprised that, that Conor Wickham played instead on Saturday. His, his career seems to have gone a little bit sideways the last couple of years, even though he had a strong first year at someone. What, what's gone mm. wrong for him? Um, just struggling to utilise him, I think, to be honest. Um, Martin O'Neill had a system where we played very, very deep. Uh, he had Stefan Sessegnon behind him, and it kind of suited him because he's quite creative and, uh, and tricky Sessegnon, and he knew where to be, the right place at the right time, and Things have just moved on since then, you know. Um, De Canio tried to play a, an orthodox four four two, which was a disaster, um, and then Poets changed it around again. And I, I don't know; it's hard to put my finger on it. I, I can honestly say because he, he's he's liked. He's a talented footballer. He's got a great touch. He's good in the air. He can finish. You know, he should he should be doing better than he is. It's just it's hard to really say. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a mystery to us all. I think um, regarding Wigan playing over him, I think that's just because. The system he played where Wickham was kind of half coming from the left and half a strike partner for Defoe. And I think you get the work rate off Conor Wickham going backwards, which you don't get from Fletcher. I think that's the only reason um, Wickham played. Maybe it's uh, just a question of needing a fresh start somewhere else for Fletcher. Maybe that can get his career going here. It's obviously a, a big three points for you on Saturday then. Are you confident that's going to see you moving up the table again and you'll be able to stay up uh, well no not if history's got anything to go by no <laughs> um, I would like I would like to think so but this is a frustrating thing about being a son of fan we just can't seem to get any momentum going and it's it's quite difficult to watch at times um, we, we you know we we draw at home to all these sides and we play really nice football you know all at the top six and seven sides and we think when the lower league team or not the lower league but bottom half of the table come if we play like that we'll be alright and then Hull come probably the worst team I've seen up here all season and managed to turn us over 3-1 and that gets you worrying a little bit. I was just drawn with Fulham in the cup. So, I don't know. Yeah, I would like to say I would like to see all the usual things. that This is going to be a, a springboard to kickstart things, <laughs> etc. But, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't always work like that. Um, we've got we've got Swansea away the weekend where, you know, if we can get anything, I think it's a bonus. Then we've got QPR, which would be interesting because they haven't picked up a point away yet. So, Sod's Law would say they'll come up here and we'll be the first team to surrender them. But I think if we if we big QPR, I will be semi confident we'll be fine because that'll put us on that'll put us on what potentially twenty six points already. 
you know, we could only be 10, 10 points away from safety then. And I, I would just like to avoid relegation with a few games to spare, if that's not too much to ask. But even that, history suggests I'm being optimistic with that, if I'm being honest. I think this season might well be one where it's quite a low number that keeps teams up. And there's so mm. many sides down there. Mm-hmm. I think it might end up being 32, 33 even. Possibly, yeah. We, we've stayed up on 34 before. Um, where the season when Keane walked out, uh, which was surprising because we had, we had some good players at the time. So you're right, it can be done. Um, obviously, yeah, Newcastle got relegated as well, so that was okay for us. I guess it depends on you know, a few factors, doesn't it? It depends on who QPR bring in, what they're going to do. I think everybody down the bottom has got their eye on that because yeah, if you look at West Brom and you look at Crystal Palace, those are two sides who a lot of people are now saying because of the managers they've brought in, that's going to be enough to sort of propel them away from it, which isn't good because you want as many teams down there as possible, don't yep, you? So I think, yeah, so I think the QBR one's interesting. I think we're all going to be, uh, we're all going to be looking at that and hoping that they make a mess of things there, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. I've had QBR down as one of the three for a while, so definitely hoping they get someone a bit rubbish. Mm. But mm. Interesting comparison to last year, though, in that the three teams that went down all changed their managers and seemed to have no improvement, so it can go either mm. way, can't it? Just finally yeah, then, before we, before we round off, obviously... Burnley were quite poor um, at the stadium light on Saturday, but have you seen enough of us so far to give any idea about whether you, you think we're going to be able to stay up? I would, I would say what I've seen um, uh, in isolation to you know, if you take the game on Saturday in isolation because you, you didn't play great, what I've seen enough of you, it's hard to make a compare you to other sides of the stadium alike because as I said, as I said there's only been Hull from the lower end of the table who's played up here, and Stoke, who we beat quite comfortably. Um, in comparison to Hull, you were much better than Hull. Um, I don't know if you remember the Hull game. We we had a couple of stonewall penalties turned down, and the players, the heads went, which is no excuse. The professional footballers should be able to deal with it, but they couldn't. Um, but I think what I've seen in Burnley in other games, you know, I've watched live a few games. Obviously, I went down to Turf Mill, and you were okay then. I think you'd be okay. I think just the fact that like we said, you've got you've got a settled and established team, and you know you really can't you can't underestimate how how valuable that can be. I think uh, when when you compare to someone like QBR, who whichever manager now goes in there is going to have all these players not knowing what to do with them. If in the meantime you put two wins together, you know you're edging further away from them, aren't you? I think you'd be fine. I, I would like I would like you think you will be. Um, just because you're northern more than anything and there's not enough northern teams in the Premier League anymore is there? I agree with you on that one well, it's good to end on a positive note so we'll leave it there thanks a lot for joining us Stephen that's Stephen Goldsmith from the Sunland Podcast Wise Men Say so that was Stephen Goldsmith from Sunland Podcast Wise Men Say he was obviously a lot happier with the game than we were um, hopefully we'll be able to maintain a little bit of upbeatness for the next bit of the podcast but I wouldn't hold your breath I'm afraid because we're all going to have to talk about deadline day um, after the game on Saturday Sean Dyche said and I quote we've got money however Burnley managed to spend none of it whatsoever no players arrived at Turf Moor on deadline day and in fact it meant that the squad was actually weaker then at the start of the window because of the departure of Nathaniel Shellboss Michael Keane was the only signing and of course he was already at the club um, Michael if we start with you then it's it's almost unbelievable isn't it that the weaknesses in the squad were so obvious and yet we've done absolutely nothing to, to arrest them yeah it's if I'm looking at it I want to I want to say like oh, I'll get the good news out of the way first it's one end deliver some good news first Michael Keane signing permanently great bit of business early on 
thought this is going to be a great window we'll be able to <laughs> be able to get in a centre midfielder to give us that extra depth in midfield that Shalbar unfortunately wasn't providing because he wasn't good enough whatever um, we urgently needed it hoping for maybe centre back for that extra depth again um, one or two positions I'd like to see someone else maybe a left back um, of decent quality unless Ward suddenly recovers um, but then nothing happened and <laughs> it was almost I, I don't want to use the word farcical but that's how it felt at times when we were unwilling to go to 1.6 million for um, a player that was nominated for Scotland Young Player of the Year it's it's them type of deals that really 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 just wound me up we can come on to some of the players mentioned um, in a little while Natalie if we can bring you back in what's what's your feeling a couple of days after I'm here after deadline day I'm still fuming still I'm really not, angry <laughs> I'm still really annoyed I tell you, I feel like if this was a video podcast, I'd have to wear the um, expletive warning T-shirt Alec can see us just to, to warn everybody of the language that may come out of my mouth. All right, I'm, we'll, we'll bleep out. I'm, I'm angry. I'm genuinely angry. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I, I genuinely am, all joking aside, furious. It's like, how has this situation happened? How have we put ourselves in a position where our Premier League survival is down to chance? All we're hearing is, well, you know, don't forget the squad that got us up there. and You know, don't forget the players who've done so well so far. Nobody's questioning that. And not one Burnley fan that I've seen has said, this team isn't good enough. We're not going to do anything. We've got to enforce. We are flogging the same 11 players every week. They're not getting a rest. There's no competition for places. And the squad needs changing. You know, we've no impact players. How many times have we looked at um, trying to change a game and you look at the bench and go, yeah. Well, that's not going to happen. And I'm, I'm, I'm astonished that a professional business has put itself in this position. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for you to, to rest. In. <laughs> yeah, it's, I had uh, to stop myself just in case I carried on for the rest of the night. <laughs> I'm, st- I'm still almost baffled by it, really. Like, I, I was annoyed last night, partly because we'd done the live blog and spent about four hours, um, even when I hadn't finished work for the day, spent about four hours doing this blog and there was basically no reason to do it at all because we didn't sign anyone. Apparently you got nowhere near signing anyone, but I just, we've had all months to plan for this and to not mm. sign a single player, I just don't get it. <laughs> Adam, what are your thoughts? Last night I tweeted quite a lot. I was quite angry, as as were most fans. I'm, I'm actually quite glad that I had the live blog and the the Twitter feed to to distract me because I was just spending the evening looking for for gifts, like trying to trying to entertain everyone. Which then Andy Devaney rudely <laughs> rudely criticised our yeah. quote an, inane animations. Oh uh, no, that's out of order. Yeah, they're the best things. <laughs> That's why Andy's not on the podcast tonight. <laughs> <laughs> We've barred him all night, never out of this. Yeah, yeah. Sack, sack Andy. Sack Andy. <laughs> <laughs> it's all Andy's fault. Yeah, but I, 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 so we've got a whole recruitment department. We've got recruitment stuff. And we've got... No, we haven't. Well, <laughs> no, we haven't. <laughs> well, we've got one guy, at least. One guy whose job title is head of recruitment. And that should mean that we recruit people, not just sign people on that we've already we they're already in the squad. Um, and it just astonishes me that there's like we found no one. There's not. I don't, know, I don't know. It's not as if we haven't had any time to prepare. We we knew that the the window in the summer was bad. We um we we knew that we needed to improve in this window. Yet. We we haven't even I don't know we haven't seemed to got our ducks in a row we haven't we haven't tried to to 
hit the, the ground running. I mean, we almost did that with with Keenan. I think I said on this podcast um, that we've uh, that hopefully this is a sign of things to come, and th- hopefully we've learnt from our mistakes in the summer. And and it's not as if the the summer window was just criticised a bit like afterwards. It was it was frankly embarrassing during during the whole window, and and it shouldn't have happened again, and it has. Um, and it's quite hard to to decide where where to um, throw your blame. Um, Kevin, oh, did it's a... not. No, it's not. <laughs> well, it's quite easy. <laughs> no, no, no. But there's there's a number of parties that you can blame. You can blame Dice because he's the one apparently setting the value uh, the valuations of the player. You can. I'm picking the targets initially. Yeah. Yeah. You can you can blame Lee Darnborough, who's the head of recruitment, because that's his bloody job title. <laughs> you can. Blame the CEO because he he hasn't actually got anything to occupy his his time anymore because uh, David Baldwin's been brought in to to reduce his commercial uh, Lee Hughes's commercial activity, and then you can blame the board for not giving the money and allocating the funds that are needed to survive at Premier League level and get the players that we need. So it's quite hard to um, to decide where to squarely lay, lay the blame. I mean, they're the the parties. We can blame all of them, I guess. But yeah. I, th- I think Kevin, in his article for the for the site um, called "Lack of January Deal- Deals is a Disgrace," um, I think he found it quite hard to to kind of list one person. And then people started commenting, saying, "Well, why aren't you blaming Dice? Because we don't really know what what the situation is. Who who is the who is the 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 one party that we yeah. need to, the, to the book change? stops somewhere, doesn't it? I mean, well, yeah, there's, there's no transparency over. Over how the process works, and hopefully we'll be able to clear that up. We we did approach the club to see if we'd get somebody on the podcast tonight. Didn't expect to get a yes, to be honest, and the answer was no. But hopefully we'll get to speak to to Lee, who's soon. I believe he's going to talk to the local press this week, so we might get some answers. (laughs) (laughs) But it's quite it's quite clear from the club's point of view who's to blame. You know, if if you if you read some of the the initial responses coming out of the club, the fans are obviously to blame for this. You know, we're just not being positive enough. You know, we're not we're not being hundred percent. How dare we? You know, we're supposed to have a thousand percent blind faith in the squad that we've got and the players who got us promoted and the the boards that are running the the business and keeping us secure for the next four hundred and fifty nine years. So it's obviously our fault. Yeah, we're all just too short short termist. Oh. Yeah, it, it goes without saying that if we'd sent some more enthusiastic tweets yesterday, then more deals would have got over the line oh, because exactly. the negotiators would have suddenly got much better at their Absolutely. jobs. Absolutely. Do you know what gets me though from last night? There was nothing from the club. We found out. Yeah, that that's there was very frustrating. Happening. That from from the local journalist who Bowden, whose whose birthday it was, exactly, and he was in a pub drinking. It's a week off my birthday, and we need, oh, yeah. And there's that no, there's me been no statement them. either. Yeah. We're doing no, the podcast nothing. almost twenty four hours yeah. after oh, the deadline calls, and there's been no word from the club at all. Well, we can we can go to the club shop and buy our brand new <laughs> third kit for forty pounds. Yeah, the terrible shiny tin foil kit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've got to keep the funds. Come on, and, my oh, word. I, 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 Honestly, I'm I'm kind of in charge of getting guests on for the podcast, and I did try and find people who who had the opposite view. But I, like, there are so few of them. There, like, I know Andy Devaney wrote a wrote a piece for the site, and he said he didn't really care, basically, um, that that we hadn't got anyone in. But yeah. like, I, I, from our comments, there are about three people. We've we've had like seventy five comments on this on Kevin's article, and um, there there are about three, four, or five maybe at a push that actually don't don't care um, about about this. 
I think it's uh, a, I think it's a very naive view to look at it and say we did not need a centre midfielder because if yeah. John if John's or Marnie either of them pick up an injury, which we saw with Vaux against Leicester, so easy and innocuous. Happen. That happens, mm. bang. And who, who's going into centre midfield then? People saying pulling our pulling our field. He's played there before. He's been rubbish. Reed, no thanks. It's just oh, not, there's not, not only no is, options. Not, not only is our field. Um, rubbish but he's been playing first team consistently in a different position so who yeah, are we going to get to fill his position exactly. when yeah. Matt Taylor's not even back yet and I suppose Kitely could go there but apparently Kitely's not good enough to start anyway because Dyche isn't picking him well the thing I... with our field is that people see he's a central midfielder but for me when he's played there he's been a disappointment apart from mm. the one game at Leicester where in fairness we had a patched up team our field played central midfield with Ward they both played quite well and we somehow escape with a point. But they're cutting our field as central midfield cover when, as you say, he's already in the team. They're cutting Ward as central midfield cover when he'll be in the team when he's fit. They're cutting Taylor as central midfield cover when he hasn't kicked a ball for about what? four months. And they're cutting Stephen Reid. He's played one game in central midfield this season, which we lost 4-0. Quite frankly, <laughs> at this level, we shouldn't be thinking, oh, we can patch the team up if we, yeah, if we yeah. get an injury. Players can like... do a job. It's an absolute but, nonsense. Like, we the, needed the, a specialist midfielder. The majority of championship clubs will have uh, more than two central midfielders on their, their books. And we're a Premier League club, and we've got the windfall. And uh, like, I hate to turn this into money, but we've, we've had the windfall, and we will get the, the, the compensation that you get for, for getting promoted. But... Apparently, it's not. It's not about that. We're apparently we're just trying to save the club from from oblivion if we go down. But the th- the problem is with that approach is you end up going down because you are saving the club from oblivion. Like it's just I, I, I don't envy the club because it is a very hard balance to get. But surely there's something that can be done that's not this approach and not, frankly, quite embarrassing as a fan to deal with. Well, there has to be the middle ground, don't they? I mean, none of us are talking about betting the ranch, as they like to say, and spending £20 million on players or whatever. But also, there has to be more than nothing and not bringing any players in. There has to be a middle ground there. And I, I think it was quite interesting to read Brendan Fudd's comments on Twitter today because he was talking about the need for stability. And Remember the last time we were in the Premier League, Brendan Fudd later said we were probably overly cautious. Yeah. And it seems to me like we've basically done exactly the same thing again. I mean, we'll, we'll come on to some of the players that um, appear to have been targets, but to not be able to spend any money, to not even be able to get a loan in, I think that was, for me, that was minimum expectation. With Shellbar going out, we had to get at least a loan in to replace him. Otherwise, we were worse off and we couldn't even do that. So, as we've said already, an injury to a central midfielder now and it leaves us in a, a very difficult position. And I, I just feel bad for Sean Dyche because I think he's been really, really let down. A couple of players coming in could have made such a big difference. Yeah. And as it is, he's got the same squad that's looked dead on the feet for the last two games, really. Don't want to be critical of the players because they have got us as far as they have, but it's difficult to see how we can turn it around from that. Do you know what? What really gets me is that we went through all of this 12 months ago and I know the situation was a bit different, but I remember sitting on this podcast 12 months ago when we were utterly frustrated that we did hardly anything in the January transfer window again and we were pushing for promotion. And, you know, we got lucky last year and that paid off, but we can't just keep building this business on luck. 
you know, we we had we were we got Barnes in, and, and fair enough, there's Barnes splits opinion, and I know it doesn't. My opinion certainly changed of him this season, but you know, he was brought in as replacement, and and as soon as the January transfer window shut, players were dropping left, right, and centre. And I remember when we went to Barnsley that Tuesday night, and it was it was horrible because you just didn't know who was going to take a knock next. Hello, twelve months later, we've done exactly the same thing. Like, Do they not learn in that club? It's not just—it's not just twelve months, or it's three windows in a row that they've done yeah, this. It is. So, so, right. Something has to give. Do you know what I mean? Three windows in a row, utterly poor targeting of players, not willing to put it's the money. Awful. It's quite it's... strange, really, because both Sean Dyche and uh, Lee Hughes are supposedly obsessed with statistics and obsessed with almost like the small margins and what we can do to improve and and these little little things you can improve as a club that that get you so far. But if that's not like if if Sean Dyche and, and Lee who's on like they've been here for the the entirety of those three windows and nothing's changed then what actually how does this situation get any better if they're not improving now then when will they ever improve like that is what i'm saying this is our bet yeah this is our best chance to make that improvement we are never going to be unless we stay up this season by by that luck and we ride our luck and this squad by some miracle keeps us up this is our best chance. We are at our richest that we've ever been. Yeah, ever. We've, like, not just ever. even in yeah, the last 10 seasons, right. but ever. Like, ever. Because so, the, the finances have just exploded in the last few years, uh, yeah. as in the Premier League finances. Yeah, yeah richer even more. than it's ever been. Yeah. And, and now we're not even really willing to take a... Like, <coughs> we're taking more of a risk by not taking any risks. That is the... Oh, it's ridiculous. It's just a, a, a real conundrum as a just, fan. And it just you know, makes me angry, as you can tell. And Natalie, uh, and Jamie, <laughs> and Michael. I, uh, I'm going to say one thing that's really, really annoyed me, and I don't know about other people, but we've, we don't even seem to have looked beyond now. We don't look to have look, looked at bringing any young young player like before when we spent a million, pound, a million pounds to bring Danny Ings in. We knew Danny Ings were gone in the summer. There's no Why, planning ahead, is there? Yeah, no. where, where, where's the plan for next year? Who, who's coming in to replace Danny Ings when he goes in the summer? Because let's face it, we all know he's going to Liverpool more than likely in the next couple of weeks. Something will get signed, won't it? It's, yeah, where, where's, where's that? Where's that forward planning? <laughs> it's what's happened to the club in that respect. Yeah, exactly. We used to be quite good at that, didn't we? Because yeah. obviously Ings was there, ready when when Austin left, and Austin was there when Rodriguez went, and Rodriguez was there when Fletcher went, and you can trace it back. And we've we have planned ahead, and you've got to give credit for that. But you do seem to have stopped doing that. I mean, can I can I just de- denounce a bit? The, the the there is some kind of nasty vibe to some of the the things being tweeted at club staff, and I don't think that's necessary. We've no, I agree. We've managed on this podcast to criticise the club without being nasty and not hurting per- saying personally hurtful things, and and also targeting thing uh, targeting people. Like I know uh, Darren Bentley deals with a lot of stick, and that's part of his job, quite frankly. But there is no need to get into a, a long argument about the nuances of his tweet and I, I, I mean i did this in the summer after the the twitter fiasco uh, the the ticket fiasco um and and the rage over the retainer um but the, the, <laughs> the in the, in hindsight that there is no need for it because he can't do anything he his job is to to yeah i mean darren you've got to remember as well darren's a fan and darren is a fan and he's he's actually quite a nice guy like 
he's a very very personal guy and he's yeah. he's got to deal with this this stick that's been thrown at him by all sorts of people and I mean, Lee... he shouldn't have to do that though. Why is he fronting this by himself? Well, exactly, that was the problem yeah. in the summer. Is that no one stood up? Lee Hughes no. was on a plane when when the retainer press release went out. <laughs> I still can't believe oh, that. Man, I can't believe that. <laughs> it's, it's, it reminds me when President Bush flew over the hurricane. In, yeah. Um, in was it in, in um, yeah. yeah. Which one was it when? Uh, uh, well, I can't think of it in, in the south. And he just flew over and watched Katrina. other people and stuff. And that was yeah. Lee Hughes. That's the one. And Lee Hughes was just flying over Burnley, waving at us. Yeah. Hi. Uh, one of the last tweets that I sent last night was um, Comical Alley. You remember the, the Iraq spokesman? Yeah. He was saying, like, there's no Americans, no Americans in Iraq. It's the <laughs> tanks coming down the street behind him. It's, it feels like any club spokesman just in that situation now. Yeah. It's like, everything's fine. Yeah. yeah everything's going to be fine when but obviously it's, it's not. It's not, fine. yeah. And the only official announcement that we've had from anybody in any form of capacity was that first thing this morning, Brendan Flood came out and just said, yeah, nothing to do with me. Yeah. Basically, his tweet was like, yeah, I, no, yeah don't blame me. I don't have any control. Yeah. I just, oh, but, I just, tweet, faith. I just tweeted a... Uh, a YouTube link of Shaggy, it wasn't me. And, yeah, and it, yeah. it was just like... But that's awful. And then at the same time, Daz Bentley, who's he's having to front this by himself, take personal abuse both through the, the official club Twitter page and his personal Twitter page. It's like, do you know what? The, the club officials have to take responsibility for this. Somebody, Lee Hughes has to come out and front it and man up. Yeah. There needs to, oh. needs to be some transparency there where they say, yeah. well, if it is, a, if it is down, you have to remember this could be down to any reason. It could be unrealistic demands from a championship well, midfielder. Every, every deal some, is different as well. Yeah, you could have some agent asking ridiculous clauses saying, oh, I want X, Y, and Z, I don't want a house in bloody Wally, that's worth half a million or something. And it'd be good if the club just come out and went, look, at the end of the day, we went for X, Y, and Z, we offered these, this amount. And they rejected it for yeah, these, re- well, these I, reasons. And, and that helps to date it a bit. People have got, oh, yeah, I can see why you've actually pulled out of that because that's a ridiculous deal. Yeah. I've, I've read today that there'll be a, a, state, a short statement in the, in the coming days, and that was on Daz Bentley's Twitter, uh, private How long does it take? How long does it take? Yeah, and it's like waiting for the, the storm to die down. But the problem is the storm is only going to get worse. We're only going to yeah. get more angry. This is 24 hours after this, almost. This, I've said this on the site already. Andy's piece was very much like, look, you've got to look at the big picture, we're in the Premier League, so on, so on, and I accept that. But people have to get the chance to vent. But by creating this sort of, it's almost a black hole where there's nothing being said by the club to calm it down. Retainer, retainer all over again. Yeah, builds up, builds up, builds up. And I'm worried that unless someone comes out and fronts up this week, there'll be fury at the game on Sunday. And that's the last thing that anyone needs. We need 100% support at the match. So people have to feel like they're being listened to now. Otherwise, they'll take Sunday as the opportunity to do that. And we, had a hilarious we had a hilarious comment. We, it, it was, it was hilarious, ridiculous. It was like totally, um, it was totally kind of out of proportion. But it was kind of just—it was demonstrative of what that situation. Like it was mentioned, throwing unfinished pies and rotten tomatoes at the board or something, and it was hilarious. But the thing with with this situation is, it, like something similar might happen. We might get like some strange chant chant going about because people were disgruntled. Like I've not since the retainer like. You, it's very hard to get the um, the the fans back on track because 
the the problem is you then if once you alienate the fans once and you don't repair it, you're then skating on very thin ice for eternity almost until you do uh, until you do something really really productive and, yeah. and helpful. Um, so the problem is that now this has happened, there is no leeway. There's no like there's no flexibility in the fans' opinions because. In the back of my mind, I'm like, well, obviously the, care, the the club don't care about the fans because of the the whole retainer gate and the the whole ticket situation, and that, that, that's not really right for me to think that. But it's what happens because you don't ever repair the 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 kind of fractures that that appear in the first place. Yeah, um, well, we could talk about this sort of stuff all the time, but I think we should uh, move on and talk a bit more specifically about some of the players who were involved. There were quite a lot of names that came out, and obviously it's, it's difficult to to ascertain exactly which ones um, were targets. But fr- from the sources that we've we've seen and the reliable journalists that we've got, it's, it's fair to say that that Graham Dorans, Stuart Armstrong, Henry Lansbury. And Matt Jarvis were all targets at one point or another yesterday alone. Um, so if we start with Dorans, then it seemed like we offered a couple of million for him. Yeah, well, it was Norwich it, offered four, but he didn't actually go to Norwich in the end. It was it was a strange one because we assumed all day that we'd lost out to to Norwich, <laughs> which was a, like a kind of offensive to fans in the like in the first place, yeah, kicking and, the balls, and then. <laughs> And then we the, the deadline passed, and we went. We missed oh, wait out a to nobody. Yeah, we missed out to literally nobody on a <laughs> let alone, a, let alone a, a championship player. It's it, it, that was quite perplexing, really. Yeah. But the, the thing on the the Dorans one, I've, I've already made a couple of excuses on behalf of the club on this one, in that it's not really in West Brom's interest to sell to us as a direct relegation rival, especially with us playing on Sunday. Like it'd be classic football, wouldn't it? If we bought Dorans from them and then he scored the winner. Like on Sunday, so I can kind of understand why they wouldn't want to sell. But having tried to deal with West Brom in the summer over Craig Dawson, seeing how difficult it was to get a deal done there, to then go in for Dorans, who we've known, we must have known about all month, to go in on deadline day with an offer that was never going to get accepted, just seems really naive to me. And people said he's overpriced at four million. I think you need to get real because we paid three million for George Boyd. Premier League players cost that money. <laughs> Four million was not overpriced for Graham Dorans. That's about what he should have cost. Yeah, it's almost like going back to when we signed Ian Moore for a million and people are like, oh, a million pounds. It's like oh, massive money. Was, <laughs> David Whitney pointed out that that was 15 years ago. <laughs> people are still expecting us to pay a million. Old, it's like, yeah, Ian Moore was a million pounds. We'll come on to Stuart Armstrong next. He went to Celtic for 1.6 million pounds. Five years ago, we paid that for Leon Court. For Leon Court. I mean, it's terrible. So how can we not afford to pay that for one of the best young players in Scotland? It's it, insane. The, the reason we, we spent, it was odd. We spent less this season than we did in the Premier League the first time. And our, str- <laughs> exactly. uh, our squad wasn't strong enough then. And play- the prices have risen exponentially since then. And we should have twice the money, in theory. Exactly. It's just... We should spend less money. It's... I don't know. I'm getting a bit exhausted here because <laughs> it's, it's hard to... like. I d- I d- as much as people commenting on the site and and tweeting at us all the time, we don't actually like criticising the club. It's 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 not a nice thing to do because we actually like the club, believe it or not. 
But it's actually quite hard not to criticise a club in situations like this because if if we didn't criticise a club club we wouldn't be doing our, our job as a as a site as a, yeah, reflecting exactly. opinions someone <laughs> someone actually commented earlier on the site saying that we weren't being there was there was no positive no positivity tweeted yesterday and it's not like we should artificially uh increase the amount of positivity we we, we do because yeah, it's not exactly it's, it's just, we talk about balance quite a bit don't we but balance doesn't mean 50% positive, 50% negative. Balance means you're trying to represent all the views that are out there. And you can only do that if there's views across the spectrum. So on the site today, I think we've got four new pieces and one of them is positive while the other three are broadly negative. And I think that's probably about right. That's about as much as we could have done today. Yeah. There's there's actually five new, new pieces today. I've lost count. We're so productive here and on and that I can't... <laughs> all the content that's going on the site the other big one that seems to have been a go at one point was Henry Lansbury uh, now this is a funny one to start with because it was reported in the summer and again we can only go off what's been in the papers and stuff where we never claim to be in the know ITK etc so we can only tell you what's what's out there but it was reported quite widely that we'd been in for Lansbury in the summer and that Forrest had turned down 4 million for him and the news that came out yesterday was that we are offering 3 million for him so apparently, we thought we could get him for less than the turn down in the summer. Now, I know they've just sat in the manager, and I know the negotiator at Forrest has gone as well, but it, it just seems like we're trying our luck with that one. It's just you know a bit desperate. Do you know what's odd with it as well? When he turned us down, he signed a three-year contract. Surely exactly, that... so he should be worth more money, if anything. Yeah, because you're buying out <laughs> that contract. <laughs> Maybe it's maybe it's the club have looked at it and gone, oh well, they've failed financial fair play. They're under an empty transfer embargo. They might be they might be willing to sell him on the cheap to us. They're not going to do that. They're not going to sell an asset that they could get more money for on the cheap. It's just so counterproductive, especially when they they've got ambitions to get into the Premier League, so then they can get more money into the bank. So they're not under an embargo. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, I mean, <sighs> I know it's been said he's not had a particularly good season, and yeah, fair enough. So if that's the case, why are we still going for him? We obviously still thought he was good enough to to add to the squad, be competition for, for Jones and Marnie, if not to come straight into the side. So find out if he's going to be available and either pay the money or find a new target. Like, why are we messing around with bids that are never, ever going to get accepted? Like, they didn't even need to to fax that offer through to Forrest or whatever it is they do these days. They could have just asked me and I'd have said, no, they're not going to accept that. It could have saved everyone a load of time. It's just pointless, completely pointless. And that's why I wonder about the the professionalism, if you will, of the negotiators. And I know that's a strong word to you, but it doesn't really seem like they're up to it. it getting these big deals done in the Premier League. You look at the deals that we've done. We've got a lot of players who were pretty much unwanted came in in the summer. Players that probably no other Premier League club would have wanted. Players like Lucas Jukovic and Marvin Sordell who were outcasts at Championship Clubs. So fair enough, they'd have jumped at the chance. George Boyd, probably the only one that stands out and I think Hull probably made a bit of a mistake letting him go. They could probably do with him. So was it about 10 players we signed in the summer? There's only one that I think really took any negotiation. (laughs) And it just, it seems like there's a problem in the chain somewhere. You talk about the like the professionalism there, but I I actually wonder whether those responsible for no- negotiation actually think this is a failure, 
because we've not seen any acknowledgement of that. The last window wasn't a failure, according to to what you read. Um, and, and although it's obviously an unmitigated disaster for the club, do, do they actually think that they've they've done something wrong? Is there going to be any actual public effort to to um, almost repair the damage that that's done? Uh, it's, it's... We've, we've talked about Darren, and he said in a reply to someone that it's there's going to be. Um, it's going to be mentioned in the programme at the weekend, which seems like a particularly old school way of doing it, but there's going to be something from one of the chairmen in the programme at the weekend. So presumably there'll be something said before then, because I think it's a bit ridiculous to let it go for basically the whole week. I think Dan Black at the Express is is talking to Lee Hoos on Thursday or Friday. I'm not sure, but I think I think that's the case. Yeah, so we should hear something before then, but yeah, we've already talked about how, how this can just build up. And for me, I, I, from my point of view, I want doing this podcast to be a bit of a, a line under it from my point of view. I don't want to be talking about transfers no, for the rest of the week. So I don't know if the club thinks that it's all just going to go away after a bit, but I'm not sure that's really the case. Um, and just wanted to get you, you two's views on something else, actually, while we're talking about uh, particular players. One of the players whose name came up, and I must stress that this was never, ever a rumour. I keep reading on a certain message board and on Twitter that this was a rumour. It was not a rumour. Tim Cale was not a rumour. Some people suggested that Tim Cale might be a good signing. That's what happened. And then people read that and went, we're being linked with Tim Cale. No, it's not the same. So clear that up right away. Tim Cale, never a rumour. Right. So now we can talk about Tim not. Cale. Definitely well, I think, I think, I think, I think Jamie, I think Jamie quite clearly thinks that that wasn't a rumour, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. However, that said, I think Tim Cale would have been expensive, yes, but also perfect. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like he had the link, the, the the thing that almost made it made it a rumor. Slash, yeah, about like a million slash, years ago, he played with Sean Dyche yeah. at Millwall. And <laughs> I don't really know. It's uh, I don't like. It's hard with these things because it's hard to get your head around the fact that it would actually ever happen. It would be. It's hard to get your head head around the fact that it might. The club might actually take a bit of a gamble um, on on these. Listen, days. I don't even think. It would have come across their mind for a second to to even ask the question about someone like Tim Cale, but apparently he's gone to a Chinese club for two million a year, which sounds like a lot of money, but it's actually not that much money in the grand scheme of things. If Tim if Tim Cale had hypothetically come to Burnley and scored half a dozen goals and kept in the Premier League, two million quid is absolutely nothing. And yes, there were a lot of clubs wanted him, but. It's the sort of player that I think we should have at least thought about. Yeah, and you were, you were laughed out of the park for, for the Darren Fletcher, yeah. And it's the same thing. It's like, how are we going to be an established Premier League club if we're not willing to go and, after and players who've got that Premier League experience? I hate to, to bring it back to the tickets yet again, but we're, <laughs> we're charging like yeah. mid, mid-table plus prices for tickets. So why aren't we getting that product as fans? Like That's not what I don't understand. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, Lee Hoos was very keen to say it was an average sort of Premier League price. And I think from from some of the prices we've seen, that's about right. Although um, 
it, I think it's probably on the higher side of average, to be honest, if you looked at them all. I know the away games we've got coming up, it's like Liverpool and uh, Man United and stuff like that, and Chelsea, they're all about 40, 50 quid, and it's 40 quid to watch them at Turf Moor. So, yeah, fair enough. But also, most of the away games I've been to this season have been less than 30, and it cost me 35 to go to the Turf. So I do think there is a bit of a difference there as well. But yeah, you're right. You can't say on one hand, oh, we're charging these prices because it's average for the Premier League, and then have a three million player as the biggest signing who was unwanted by a Premier League club. Which and then your next way... biggest signing, your next biggest signing is Lucas Jukovic, who wasn't wanted. He's I, our, guess... uh, I love Thomas Pickles on the site today. He said he's, he's our big big name signing because he's got ten letters in his name. Right? <laughs> so that's how it yeah. ends up working our, out. Our marquee signing was actually the marquee. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I'd, I'd say you have to look at it a bit a different way as well with Cahill. Yes, two million for him would have been. I'd happily pay him two million wages, but then would the club want to risk breaking the, the wage structure, whatever that may be, yeah. and perhaps perhaps alienating one or one or two other players who might look at that and go, "Well, why is he on fifty, sixty grand a week?" Yeah, but with with all due respect, those players aren't anywhere near the pedigree or the the experienced or the big name that that tim cahill is and as professional footballers they should be able to deal with that and if it's, it's quite whoa, a problem whoa, 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 whoa. professional footballers deal yeah with well yeah. <laughs> no i'll see what michael means well we know how petty and silly they can be yeah, just know, to but... to do a little bit of very quick maths two million a year works out just under 40 grand a week so it's probably twice what our top earners are on yeah. however Tim Cale scored a hell of a lot of Premier League goals. He's still scoring goals at international level for Australia. He was performing very well in the World Cup last summer. I need to clarify that this is obviously all hypothetical. Yeah, well, this was and never it was never happen. a rumour. <laughs> it was never ever going to happen. But I think that's the quality player that we should have been trying to get in. Instead of faffing around for players like... Henry Lansbury and they were never going to come I'd like Graham Dorans but it was never on the cards either it just seems and, I, and the I last get... one the last one that we haven't even mentioned yet was um, sure. the winger from West Ham yeah. Matt Jarvis Matt whose Jarvis. name came up in the last hour and like never in a million years going to get Matt Jarvis and people whinge at me for suggesting Darren Fletcher and Tim Cale it's, uh, uh, Jarvis smacks a desperation for me yeah, it's just it's like, it's now left. So, yeah, so fall through the way. Yeah, oh, when you play football manager, <laughs> you're like, oh, God, I need to get someone. <laughs> just anyone. It was never, ever going to happen. It felt almost like like the press lads were fed a name so they had something to say, but it just looked daft like half an hour later when they went, no, actually, there's nothing happening. And it's like, oh, Matt Jarvis, Matt Jarvis. Yeah, we've been with Matt Jarvis. That's great. Oh, nothing's happened. <laughs> It's almost like a kick in the teeth. <laughs> That's happening. It's like you you talk about all this, and then the the word ambition comes up a lot. No ambition. No ambition. And like I I've always kind of sighed at that that kind of line. Oh, we've obviously got no ambition. But you have to wonder if you you have got a strict wage structure and you're not willing to break it for anyone at all. Then when does like where at what point do you actually accept you're a Premier League team? When does that change? Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you can't have Premier League players if you're not going to pay in Premier League wages, essentially. And I understand our budget is the smallest in the league by a difference, but we're talking about a couple of players who might make the difference and earners. What is it, sixty, seventy million extra or something yeah. in the summer? And I, I think you were right when you mentioned the the TV money. 
and how how much more it's gone. Yes, it's still all going in the pockets of the players and the agents and that. But I think if if you're in the the exclusive club at this point, I think you're pretty much set. I think the Premier League is going to become even more of a close shop than it has been so far, and it's going to be harder for clubs like us to get in there. But if we if we can be in there when the doors get shut, yeah. then fantastic. And it just doesn't seem like the thought of that. I don't know. I think we're we're starting to go round in circles because we we actually haven't got anyone that disagrees on this podcast now. Yeah, there's, there's no answers <laughs> either. So we yeah. round it up shortly. But I think. If I can try and sum it up, I mean, the frustration is we don't know who's responsible. We don't know where it's gone wrong. We just know that it's gone wrong. <laughs> I think that's why we're all so annoyed. And we're all annoyed because we want the best for the club. And we've got to stress that because, as Adam says, we don't just want to be negative for the sake of it. If we can end on a slightly positive note, if anyone, has, if anyone has managed to stick with us for an hour of complaining... Oh, God. Sorry, you've had to listen to my, <laughs> my cold-ridden well voice for... <laughs> Hopefully next week's podcast will be a bit more upbeat. But the one bit of positive business that we did do was holding on to Danny Ings. And yeah. I've said that this is almost minimum expectation, given that the cupboard repeatedly said that he wasn't going anywhere. But outsiders might think Burnley have done well, so on to Danny Ings. Liverpool were sniffing around him. Yeah, so no, surely that's something that we so can... We something in, Is that something that we can grasp a little bit? That... It's what Andy was saying on site, isn't it? That Ings is so important, and at least we managed to hold on to it. Yeah, I think there's a, there's an argument yeah. to to say that. We, I mean, if we, I suppose that we, we're already finding ourselves in a in a worst case situ- situation, effectively. But I think if uh, Danny Ings went as well, then we might as well just pack up and go home, right? Like, so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, so, so it's actually. I mean, I'm I'm glad it's not worse, um, and I think Nathan Rogers, who's who's regularly on the podcast, he was he was tweeting pictures of Chevy Singh saying it, it could be worse, guys. We could have Chevy Singh in oh, yeah. I hate that argument, though. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, but at least we, uh, we could all be under dead. Rovers under Chevy Singh. Rovers under Chevy Singh actually signed players. I'm not. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm gonna get some stick for that comment, but. <laughs> <laughs> the, the day when you think that Lee Hoos is a worse negotiation than Chevy Singh. I think that, that's an indication of where we've gone. But Michael, holding on to Ings is going to be vital, isn't it? If he had gone, that would have basically been accepting relegation. So how much credit does the board deserve for that? There must have been interest. We heard all the stuff about the, the sales of the yeah. board going back, which was apparently against the rules. <laughs> yeah, there's... Um... There were interest as well from, well, rumoured interest, I say, reported from Man City, Tottenham, your know, teams abroad looking at him. Um, so it's been linked to a lot of big clubs. So I don't know how much of it is down to the player himself. And perhaps even Sean Dyson is the one that is the one that needs the praise. Aim at him. He's probably put his arm around him and said at one point, look, Danny, you're going to get this big move in the summer. You're going to go on and to big things, but now was not the right time for it, going and playing a bit part at this part. At this stage in your development, you need to be getting games. Another another three, three four months in the Premier League, playing week in, week out, putting your shell, yourself in that shop window will earn you a lot more money. Um, and it's fair play, yeah, board, board done well. It's almost, I guess you could say, yeah, it's kind of like 
keeping him a bit, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. I'm going to try to convince myself it worked for a minute. No, it's a big deal. <laughs> just like the Keen deal. Just like the Keen deal that was massive. Um, I just don't want to, just don't want him to sign a pre-contract agreement abroad now and go for 206 grand. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be a shame. The latest is that, uh, there's another rule that says he can sign a, a pre-contract. Not an actual pre-contract agreement, but what is in effect a pre-contract agreement with the Premier League club if it gets ratified by the Premier League. And that would mean that we basically sell him and then the, his registration gets transferred when the transfer window opens or something like that. I, I lo- think I love- I've represented yeah, how that works. And it looks like it will be Liverpool. I love this, this rule. Yeah, that's pretty spot. That, that rule effectively means that yeah, you just sign anyone when you want. Yeah, the whole transfer window is uh, an illusion anyway. <laughs> it's totally pointless. Yeah. What's the point? Why, why are we all sat here? <laughs> exactly. We've well, had I've a just big... argued for an hour over it. <laughs> <laughs> the club just made that big fuss about, um, oh, well, actually, it will be against the rules to loan him back. It's yeah. like, basically the same seven. thing. It will all buy him, but don't get him until the summer. Is it not the same thing, in effect? Mm, I don't know. They're just all, yeah, I guess that's what I'm by doing that. By paying paying for him now to get around the whole tribunal, which may go in our favour, get us a lot more money. Yeah. So they they, might, they offer five million now, but uh, yeah, but as I snap your hand off at that, and they avoid any potential dodgy add-ons and stuff in the tribunal. Yeah. So. And it's it's not just that. I think people are asking why why Liverpool would want to get him in now. I think if he does go on and score another seven or eight goals, there's going to be a lot of clubs want him, and to be able to to nail that down in advance and know that you're not after get involved in what won't be a bidding war because of the situation, but what suddenly reduces your chance of getting me if clubs like Man City and Spurs are going to be interested. It's been talked about Real Sociedad. It's it's easier to get out of that bum fight and get it all sorted. And I'm sure Danny Ings himself would rather it was done as much as he said he, he just wants to play for Burnley until the end of the season. I'm sure he'd, he'd rather it was all sorted out and didn't have to think about it anymore. So, yeah, I think this sort. I think it's a, a U8 agreement or something. It sounds made up. This thing Liverpool are trying to do, but I think it is best for everyone all round if it's done as soon as possible. Because I think Ings will stay focused. I just think it needs to be settled. Uh, I don't think we've seen much evidence apart from Saturday that, that Danny Ings is the type to to get his head turned and and switch off. Almost, he seems not only in in his game, but he seems quite personally devoted to to improving himself and improving himself and and getting to the highest level he can and i, I think he'll probably realize because he seems quite an intelligent person that the, the best way to do that is to keep performing and keep and, and keep trying and and ultimately do the best that you can for burnley football club exactly i mean people said like if he's already sorted out with liverpool why would he keep trying for us but it's a question of professionalism and attitude and i don't think Ings has ever had a problem in either of those departments. So I think we can have every faith that he's going to carry on giving his all and we'll just write Sunderland off as a, as a bad day at the office because it, it was in all the papers and a much bigger story than it has been, even though the speculation has been constant. Um, we will we have to round off at some stage because we've been going for about an hour already. So we should round off, but we'll talk briefly about the West Brom game on Sunday that we touched on a little bit earlier in the podcast. Um, Michael, it's been the same team for nine Premier League games in a row. You've got to imagine after Sunderland, Dash is going to make changes. In, he, he's got to, hasn't he? Not that he's got any nah, new players to put in. Nah, it's going for going for records, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> keep 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 playing it, keep playing it, keep getting records. Um it'd be interesting to see what team he names. I'd like to see maybe one or two two changes. Arfield probably drop out for me, Cartley come in. 
Um, I can't see much beyond that. Although I believe Ward's nearly back to fitness, so if he's if he's ready to come back in, I'd, I'd like to see him reintroduced for me because he's not been up to scratch. Um, they're about the only couple of changes. Maybe I'd, I'd, I'd quite like to see Ings and Forks paired up again, just because <laughs> that's what goes to the Premier League essentially. Them two, them two playing together. So it'd be interesting to see if they they come back together. Um, the, yeah, and I think as, as yeah. well as Barnes has done, I think he has gone off the boil a little bit. He missed two two really big chances on and one at nil nil that could have changed the game. So maybe switch it up a little bit. See if there's anything else there. On Ward, I don't think he's played a development squad yet game yet, so he's probably a little way away yet. But yeah, I agree. The sooner we can get him in for for Ben Mee, the better. Something somebody suggested. Someone suggested that West Brom might try and nobble some of our players at the weekend, knowing that we've got no cover in certain departments. Um, Tony Pulis is obviously a very canny operator, but I think that's, that's probably maybe pushing it a little bit. I can imagine Warnock doing something like that. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, if it was Neil Warnock, we'd be like, oh god, we'd all be praying. Ah oh, no, <laughs> but no, I can't imagine a manager purposely sending a team out to cripple another team. It's it, it's a bit beyond the the pale, isn't it? That, that type of thing. Yeah, even if it wasn't anything serious, just try and put someone out of the game. I think it's it's sort of 80s-style football tactics, and I'm not sure anyone would try and do that these days, but it's maybe something to to keep an eye on. Adam, what are you expecting from Sunday's game? It's it's another big one, isn't it? It's hard to call, really. You don't... Uh, especially because... Uh, uh, although we, we kind of hit some form a, a, a bit ago, and now we we just seem quite useless um it'll be interesting to see if we can we can pull it out of the bag because what sean dyche teams have shown is that when you expect them to fail they they don't fail um so maybe maybe because we all expect them to uh i suppose our our expectations have been lowered maybe that means we'll beat uh the expectations and and get a result it's it's a big test for dash isn't that i mean it's, it's passed pretty much all the challenges we've we've had so far with flying colours but with um, the last couple of games obviously not going our way and someone being one of our worst performances of the season and, and the disappointment of not being able to add anyone on deadline day I think being able to put everything like that behind us and, and get up for what is a massive game I mean the next game is always the biggest game of the season in my opinion that's cliche that is actually true but in this case with the games that we've got coming up I think it's absolutely vital and I do think it is a must win I think if we only get a draw that's it's not a disaster but I do think it could be costly come the end of the season Do you know what do you know what the only silver lining is to all this is that there is three teams in this league that are a lot worse than we are <laughs> Yeah Keep yeah. your heart. Keep your heart. Cannot cannot win away from home. The last time a team went, I think it's eleven games without away from home without winning. Sixty years ago, something like that. Yeah, I think it was Sunderland sixty years ago. Leicester just look all over the shop. Even with the new signings, I don't think that's going to be enough. Aston Villa can't score for Toffee. Yeah, um, they're awful. I, I imagine them getting sucked in. I've at it their relegation first day before the season had even kicked off. I can imagine their goal this season. So we might just survive on the pure fact that there's three other teams that have far worse than us Hull aren't much better either so it's it's not the end of the world yeah no. transfer window's been properly rubbish I've hated <laughs> every minute of it but it's not the end and three points on Saturday we're all going to be singing we're all going to be happy 
and it'll all be over. We'll all be like, ah, oh, yeah, I forgot about that transfer window of rubbish. And, what transfer uh, window? Yeah, what transfer window? We've got, our team's well good. So, <laughs> our team's well good. So, like, 1990s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wicked. So. Yeah. Yeah. So the that's, other, that's, the other that's subplot that's yeah. obviously worth mentioning is that we did get hammered at the Hawthorne. So, yeah, be I think that, that does always play a part. I think the players who played in that game will want to prove that it was... a a bit of a one-off and put that behind them even though it's a, a different manager and some of the same players and that, I think that does have a factor in Dash especially will be keen to to get one back on, on West Brom I think uh, well to round off then um, we will do our usual predictions Michael we'll start with you then Sunday noon kickoff at Turf Mall Burnley v West Brom what's your call? Eternal optimist as ever despite what's happened and <laughs> I'm going to go off for a 1-0 <laughs> <nil> home win <laughs> Eternal optimist one nil. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Adam? I think I'll counteract everything that I've said in this uh, this, this uh, podcast and say that we're going to win five three. Five three, bloody hell! Big big be. Sunday thriller. Yeah, one for the Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's a difficult one. I think the early kickoff is um, it doesn't suit either side really. I don't think players really like playing that early. I think it'll be a tight game. I think Pulis will probably set his team up to come for a draw. So to counter at Adam's thing, it's going to be a goal fest. I'm going to say it's going to be nil-nil. <laughs> we'll leave it there. For the it's so podcast. negative, Jamie. <laughs> so, I'm trying to be balanced so much. I'm trying to be balanced. <laughs> Keep it together, <laughs> it was, man. It, it has been a mammoth podcast. So thanks to everyone who's stuck with us um, for the whole show. Thanks to Natalie, Michael and Adam for joining us as well. And Stephen from the Sunland um, podcast Wise Men Say thanks to our sponsors at Neville G thanks to everyone who listens if you do have any feedback please do get in touch we're on Twitter at Nevernet, where you won't find any gifts for a little while I think we'll leave that behind for a while after Andy complained about them <laughs> and you can always email us as well the email address is podcast at knownandnever.net please do get in touch if you've got anything to say especially if it's nice but that is all we've got time for this week so thanks again for listening and we'll be back next week Goodbye. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.